Welcome to the Waypoint What's the Point podcast. This is the podcast of Waypoint Church in Durham Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And this is the podcast where we talk about all things going on in the life of our congregation. And we have a special episode today where we meet and get to know a little bit more and learn from some of the scientists in our congregation. So we're calling this like the science podcast and just going to ask them some questions about their life and experience. I do have a housekeeping note. I sound really good on the microphone I'm using, but when we recorded this, this is actually the third attempt to record this. Each time we recorded it online, each one of the episodes we recorded, somebody's internet was bad and we could barely hear them. And this past time when we recorded this one, the three folks who were our guests, they sounded great, but my microphone and my internet was really bad. But we're going to go ahead and hear the episode, even though I'm a little staticky. So please bear with me as I ask the questions, because you're going to hear each of them just share their heart and share about how God called them into science and how God is using them in the science field that they work at each day uh, in their careers. And uh, sit back and enjoy the episode. So we're going to start off and they're going to introduce themselves and tell us their position at their work and how they found Waypoint Church. Why don't we start off with you, Matt? Hi, Danny. Thanks. I'm excited to be on uh, the podcast. Um, my name is Matt Markovetz, and I am a postdoctoral research associate at the University of North Carolina. I study mucus physics, um, and I found Waypoint uh, through one of my wife's medical school classmates, um, and we've been coming, I guess, for three years now. All right. Thanks, Matt. And the question everybody wants to know is how many mucus physicists are there in the world, or at least in America? Do you have a rough estimate? Yeah, I would imagine that it's probably about uh, 60 total worldwide. And then in, in the country, it's probably about 20. So there you go. If you want to meet one of America's 12, you know, 20, half two dozen uh, mucus physicists, you can come on away point and join us. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you, Matt. And uh, next up, we have Sarah. Yeah, thanks. So I'm Sarah Adams, and I'm a physician. I am a, a assistant professor of pediatrics at the University of North Carolina. And what that uh, means mostly is that aside from teaching some medical students, I am a pediatric hospitalist, which means that I take care of kids who have to be in the hospital for one reason or another. And uh, we came to Waypoint... Uh, it was uh, the summer of 2018, and uh, we had been in this area for quite a while, actually, went to a different church that we really liked, um, but we were looking for something a little bit smaller with a little bit of a more of a community feel. And we had done that thing for a couple of months where we were attending our home church every other week and then visiting different churches um, on the in-between weeks. And when we came to Waypoint, we didn't really know anybody. We had met somebody at Soccer Shots that said they went there and we thought we should check it out. And uh, it just felt like we kind of had friends right away. Like even on our first Sunday, we just said hi to some people around us, got invited to lunch at Los Trace and found ourselves there on like a table of 12 or so people. And it felt like immediately like family. And so that just was really clear to us that we should come to Waypoint. And so we've been there ever since. Awesome. That's good to hear. And exciting, yeah, to hear more about your how you help and love and serve kids as a pediatrician. How about you, Kelvin? Introduce yourself to us. Hi, um, I'm, I'm Kelvin Chong, and uh, I'm a research analyst at a lab at Duke. And what I do at work is specifically working with uh, human vaccines uh, related to human diseases uh, such as HIV, uh tuberculosis, and occasionally coronavirus. And uh, how my wife and I found out about Waypoint Church is through one of her friends. And apparently one of his uh, either dentist or doctor um, that he he visits frequently go, uh, goes to Waypoint Church, but we never really found out who that person was. Um, but we... The... The first time we went to Waypoint Church, we felt an immediate connection um, right as they talk about missions. And uh, we felt that 
Waypoint was really invested in mission work and especially in Malaysia where I grew up and where my wife lived for two years. And that's how we ended up at Waypoint Church. Awesome. Well, glad to have all three of you and look forward to hearing just, yeah, you guys sharing a little bit of your experience and and just how God has brought you to this point. But before we get deep into science and we can ask you questions, Kelvin, on how's the vaccine coming along? I'm sure you get that one a lot. But uh, before we get deep into the science questions, um, we got an icebreaker question. And we're only 25 episodes old here at the Waypoint Podcast, but we want to learn more about the members of our church. So today's question is, right now, what's your favorite food in the Triangle? It could be restaurant, dish, hole-in-the-wall place, food truck. I know with coronavirus, we're not going out to eat as much, but there's still some options or even some pre, uh, pre-COVID you know, restaurants or foods that you like. So why don't we start with you, Matt? Yeah, thanks. Give us some insight on your, your food choices. For sure. Uh, well, I, I appreciate the shout out that Sarah gave to Los Trace. Um, it's just down the road from me. Uh, so Annie and I go there. Uh, my wife, Annie, and I go there uh, quite a bit. But um, I think that now that there used to be this like bootleg pupusa operation out of Carborough, but the restaurants are open again. So I'm going to have to say that it's the Bulkogi food truck that shows up outside of uh, my work uh, like once a week. That's probably my go-to food uh, location these days. All right. Nice. So where can they find this truck? Right near UNC's campus? Uh, I mean, I think it's at Marsico Hall once a week, which is on UNC's campus, but it, it travels around. It travels around the city. All right. And how about you, Sarah? Yeah, I love food. And uh, I think my go-to place changes every few weeks. Um, but right now, I'm going to give a shout out and tell you a cute story about Alfredo's Pizza Villa in Chapel Hill. Um, really oh, wow. good, like authentic Italian pizza. And uh, we decided to go there and eat on their terrace the other day. And we had really only done takeout food ever since the start of the pandemic. And so we took our youngest, well, we took all of our kids, but our youngest, Leona, she is two and a half. And uh, I guess that (laughs) the last time we went to a restaurant must be outside of her memory. Because when we got there, she said, why we get out of car? And I said, oh, we're going to eat here. She said, we eat here? (laughs) (laughs) covid babies huh completely incredulous (laughs) covid babies that's awesome that's awesome it's funny how how about you kelvin uh so restaurant wise um actually owned by the same owner of uh the 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 bukoki truck that matt mentioned is namu uh and it's in durham and uh i i like the the Korean fusion food that they have there and the the atmosphere is wonderful as well um but during one of my first visit to North Carolina or I, I guess Raleigh um I fell in love with this um it's this pimento bacon biscuit um that Jubala coffee sells and I think like oh, wow. what's great about it it's is that um, they? I think they make their own pimento cheese. I'm not sure how that process is like, but it's everything is in house, and then the bacon is like fresh and very different from what you can get at a grocery store. Um, so that's probably one of my favorite dish. So, so even though you're from Malaysia, now you're an official southerner eating <laughs> right. pimento cheese biscuits with bacon. You you adapted quickly, but you went to you went to college in Texas, correct? Undergrad, right? Yeah, yeah. So I did you're, my you're kind of an uner- unofficial southern. Okay, you're an unofficial southerner, so you, you <laughs> can eat pimento biscuits. No, for me, I like a lot of food, uh, but the thing that I just crave is the pho that they have at multiple places around town. There's one in Briar Creek, uh, kind of Miami Boulevard, and then I love the pad thai at Bangkok Fifty Four right next to the church. I mean, but the, it's spicy. So they have five levels of spice. The three will kill you. I lived in Sichuan, China, so I know spicy food. The three I can handle, but it, it was bad. So I can't even imagine the four or the five, but 
Give me pad thai. And I every time I go to a Thai restaurant, I always get pad thai. Every time I'm like, ooh, I'm going to get something different. But I just love it so much that I always go back to it. So there you go. You got some food recommendations. Uh, today's podcast is sponsored by Los Trace Alfredo's Pizza. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right. Now we're, now we're on to science. So thanks, y'all, for sharing that. Um, and this is a, a serious question, and it's, it's one that we all need to know as, as Waypoint people. We kind of want to know sh- your spiritual journey. How did you come to know and follow Jesus? And uh, if this is applicable, how does that intersect with your path to pursue a career in science? How about we start with you, Sarah? Yeah, I would love to. So I wasn't raised uh, in a Christian household. My parents kind of wanted me to make up my own mind uh, about religion when I got big. And so um, I had some ideas that that I thought there was probably some kind of a God. Um, but mostly my worldview was very science-based. I was very um, focused on logic and the fact that I, I um, you know, really – kind of prided myself in um, assessing evidence critically and in, you know, following evidence where it led and making logical conclusions. Um, My dad kind of instilled that in me really early on. Um, I think he might have slightly regretted it when I started to argue every single point um, that he ever made with me. Um, But he apparently starting from when I was like one or two would sit me down and be like, Sarah, think logically about this. No reason to throw a tantrum. Think logically about this. So that's that's kind of my background. And uh, I was a medical student at Oxford University in England when uh, I became friends with some people who called themselves Christians. And they were really different from anyone that I had ever met that I thought was a Christian. And they seemed to take it extremely seriously. Um, and it was a little bit intriguing and at the same time off-putting. And, uh, and I remember that uh, I ended up attending a... Um, event where the gospel was being preached. And it was really a tit for tat. Like I wanted someone to do something. I said, you do this for me and I will go to one of your stupid evangelical events. And they said, okay. Um, and I usually was a woman of my word. So I went and I took a friend as a backup uh, against, you know, the crazy cult people. And uh, so we were there and she became a Christian at this event. I was horrified and felt very guilty that I had introduced her to this cult that had now, you know, gotten the better of her. And so I stuck around kind of close to her in the aftermath, um, a little bit out of guilt, a little bit out of like protectiveness. And then I found myself talking more and more with her and some other friends of mine who were Christians about God and just found that I was really enjoying these uh, relatively intellectual conversations about God and the world and how did we get here and does it all make sense? Um, and in retrospect, I can just see God, you know, wooing my heart. But at the time, I was just kind of enjoying the. And uh, she ended up giving me a book, and the book was called The Cure for Life. It's written by a um, UK physician, and it talks about the life of Jesus and the evidence for it, and it specifically focuses on the evidence for the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I uh, promised her I would read it over vacation, and then when I got back, I hadn't read it. And so I was like, oh, I have to read this because I told her I was going to. So I found myself late one night reading this book as a as a means of putting myself to sleep. I was having trouble sleeping and I thought, oh, this is sure to put me to sleep and be boring. Um, so I started reading this book and found it absolutely riveting. Um, the first time that I really understood what people meant when they say like Jesus died for your sins. I remember always thinking, what does that even mean? People die for another person all the time, like, you know, give their life because they want to save somebody else's like, that's heroic. That's great. But it's not exactly unique. Like, why do people talk about like this, like it's completely unique. Um, And this whole concept that he you know, had no sin and then took on the sin of others, um, like in, as as a as in a swap, as in a swap of clothes. That was uh, just completely new to me. Um, and the other thing that just blew me away when I was reading this book was the fact that there was evidence that this guy was presenting it as a logical conclusion of evidence, historical evidence that we have, um, and this concept that scientist Sarah, that Sarah who likes to follow evidence and think critically 
and Faith Sarah, who thought there was some kind of a God that they might be able to align um, and think about it in the same way. That was really new to me. Um, and I found it very convincing that there wasn't this leap of faith that I had to make against all logical reason, but that instead there was a lot of logical evidence pointing to the resurrection being true. And then there was just a little step of faith uh, left for me to take at the end. Um, so at four in the morning, I found myself, you know, leafing through the back of this book and thinking to myself, well, there must be a prayer in here because there's always a prayer in these kinds of things. And then uh, saying that prayer and going to sleep and waking, waking up the next morning thinking, oh, what have I done? I've sold my soul to God. Um, and that was really the start of a very exciting and wonderful relationship. Wow. That's really powerful. Thank you for sharing. Uh, wow. Yeah, that's great. How about you, Matt? Um, yeah. So, well, yeah. Thank you for sharing, Sarah. Um, my story, I guess, is um, like yeah, a little bit more, um, I don't know, I guess like the traditional American Christian story, uh, if there is a traditional American Christian story. Um, but I grew up um, in a house where at least one of my parents was always a professing Christian. My mom uh, was a professing Christian since I was born. My dad grew up Catholic, um, but had left the faith uh, when he left his parents' house at 18. Um, but there was always a Christian presence in the home and around the same time um, that uh, my dad got baptized. When I was six, I started considering getting baptized. Um, and so then the next year when I turned seven, um, I, I decided to get baptized. And, you know, I was going to Sunday school regularly and then, you know, middle school youth group and all, all of that stuff. But... Um, just growing up, my dad was a civil engineer. Um, I definitely got his um, engineering outlook and perspective on life, and uh, definitely his engineering personality. Uh, we're, you know, I guess Enneagrams are a big thing right now, and we're both definitely type fives, um, if that means anything to anyone. Um, but my mom was also an econometricist and uh, she's half Japanese. And so she was something of a tiger mom. Uh, and neither of my sisters would really take that to heart in terms of schooling. So I think she really pushed me pretty hard um, in order to like get an education, particularly pursue sciences. Um, and so that was um, something that was always sort of like pushed for me was a, a, a like a scientific ed education. I had this very logical trait, uh, like logical thought process, this very logical approach to life and this very inquisitive approach to life. I was definitely a know-it-all. Um, I was known for that through middle school. Um, I'm very thankful uh, for a number of my Christian friends um, who tempered that in me, uh, you know, like graciously sort of bent me towards humility and, and using my knowledge uh, more out of kindness and for the kingdom as opposed to lording it over people. Um, I think, you know, there's a number of major points in my life um, that involve science, but I, I just think that like the way that I find gratitude and understanding about creation um, and, and knowing more about the universe that God has made is something that just causes me to worship innately. And, and so I really appreciate that about science and I find that very fulfilling. You know, I find the opportunity to maybe do research that heals people. You know, I'm not a physician like Sarah, but like, uh, you know, Jesus is a great physician. And, and, you know, I think about, how if I can work on human diseases, I can bring healing and, and, and mercy to those who are suffering. And, and so I think that those are all things that gratify um, my, my spirit as a Christian in pursuing science. Thank you, Matt. Well, wow. how about you, Kelvin? So I grew up in a Christian family as well. Um, my parents were the first generation Christians in their family. Um, so growing up, my parents would um, teach us Christian values. And every Sunday, it's um, it's meant for church uh, or youth. And uh, But 
so we, growing up, my siblings and I, we understood um, like who God is, who G- who Jesus is. But beyond that, we never really talked about um, whether it's about salvation or sin um, at home. Um, and it, it wasn't until I guess I was 14 or 15, um, I realized that I don't know why my parents go to church. I don't know why I follow them to church. And uh, growing up in Malaysia, where there's a lot of religion, um, I would actually go around asking my friends why they choose to believe in what they believe. Why do they pray five times a day? Or why do they burn incense at home or at the temple? Uh, But almost a lot of them have no clue or have no idea why uh, they do what they do. Uh, but basically, they believe or they practice religious uh, stuff because of their parents. And I realized I was also in the same boat. So that sort of set me off um, in sort of like the discovery discovery mode. And it wasn't until uh, this one day after school. Um, so my sister was involved in... Um, in this Christian fellowship at school, and they every week they would come together, pray, and worship um, right after school. So I was waiting for my for my sister to to get done so that we can go home together. And um, while they were doing that, I was just like, at a corner of the room, and I felt drawn um, to join them and to see what they are doing and and sort of just observe uh, how they pray, how they worship, and hopefully get to know why they do what they're doing. And as I just like observe them, um, I can, I felt God sort of knocking at my, at my head because in my mind, all this thought of like questioning or, um, the logical side of me is like just kept questioning like all the different tiny things that they say or that they are singing. Um, But at that moment, I felt like God was speaking to me and telling me that, Hey, Kelvin, if you invite me into your life, I will show you who I am. It will not be an easy road and you, you would not get to, be this perfect Christian and it's going to be a journey. So as long as you, you invite me, I will guide you and I will lead you. And so since then, uh, it's been, I would say a long journey and definitely there are all the different seasons in my life and, uh, related to science. Um, so throughout high school, I, I always do science project and, uh, all throughout high school, mainly because my mom is a biology teacher at school. And so she's, uh, she took the initiative of uh, doing science project with students. And um, I think midway through high school, I realized that my mom actually used that as her ministry to, to reach out to students. And uh, every time we go to a science fair competition, she would invite everyone uh especially the non-Christians um, for just like a time of prayer uh, right before the, the competition. And she will always tell them, you're free to join us. Um, and most of the time, surprisingly, a lot of uh, our non-Christian friends who are at the science fair would join in uh, maybe because of nerves or something. Uh, so I, I guess I, growing up, I saw that my mom was playing a major role um, as a woman of science. And uh, because of her, I really love science and biology. And because of science projects, uh, I, I really like um, research. So that's how I got into the entire um, circle of research and Awesome. Well, thanks to all three of you for sharing your stories and what a powerful testimony of each of you, how God, you know, different, but all amazing to hear God's faithfulness in pursuing you.
And now we're going to talk about the present um, and start off with this question. Just what do you love about your job and your, your career field, this field that God has called you to? So I'm going to start with Sarah for this one. All right. Um, so I think the number one would be just the kids, right? They're just really fun. Uh, pediatricians always uh, are, rate really highly in the service when they ask them, would you choose the same specialty over again? Um, there's specialties that are ranked higher than us, but if you compare the specialty pay to the specialty happiness, we're an outlier. We, we don't get paid very much in terms of doctor salaries, but we're really happy. And everyone else who's as happy as us gets paid a whole lot more. Um, and I think it's really because working with kids is just extremely fun and gratifying. Um, they're hardy, so they tend to get better by themselves. Um, and we kind of get to stand there and watch and look like we're doing something half the time. Um, and they're also just really a lot of fun, right? Um, they say silly things. They are in good spirits even when they're ill. Um, and so that is super enjoyable. Um, it's also, I think, generally makes for a very happy environment. I always tell the med students when they're thinking of, you know, what training programs to go into, like, it's just really hard to scream at one of your trainees while you're holding a baby. So pediatrics is like a happy place to train. Um, so I think that is one thing that I really enjoy. Um, in terms of medicine, like more in general, I think I really enjoy getting to puzzle, right? So I enjoy having a problem and getting to kind of apply my brain to it think about it from lots of different angles and then figure out what the answer and what the solution is. Um, and to do that while at the same time getting to talk to other people and teach. I enjoy teaching people stuff. And so I get to do that in like three different ways. One is because I have med students and, and pediatric trainees that I work with. Two is because the parents um, are our biggest partners when we take care of these kids. And so they are the expert on the kid and I'm the expert on the medicine. Um, and so we get to teach each other and I really enjoy that part. Um, and then three is the kids themselves, right? They have really fun questions about what's going on in their body um, and sometimes really in-depth knowledge of what the different organs do that we're working on or that they have a, an issue with. And so it's really fun to get to further their knowledge with that as well. Wow. That's just so cool to hear how you love what you do and God's gifted you in that. And you get to do it each day, just loving children um, and using these gifts. Um, how about you, Matt? Yeah. Right now, what are some things you love about your job and what do you love about mucus? Yeah. Well, <laughs> before I get to that. Sorry, also, I keep picking on you with the mucus. Oh, but no, that's fine. Yeah. There, it's it's fun. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a really uh, unique position to be in. I, I will uh, say that as someone who does mucus physics and who does cystic fibrosis research, I interact with a lot of pediatricians, and they are an unnaturally happy uh, bunch of people. Um, it, it is kind of uncanny how happy all of them are, particularly in contrast to even like the adult pulmonologists that I uh, have to deal with, but um, I can see how it would be a fun job, but I don't know if I'm a happy enough person to fit into that mold. Um, I guess that's why I'm an engineer. Um, and I, I, I love the physics aspect of it um, to some extent, but really I love the opportunity to um, solve problems. Um, and even I, Part of that is identifying new problems, um, which I think is more of a scientific aspect, right? Like you get to pose the problems that are still unsolved in the universe and say, how am I going to understand this more? Um, you know, I, I think back to like when I was in undergrad um, and learning about like the chemical reactions involved in, in burning. This is like, my kinetics class and like I went to a uh, campfire um, like during that whole unit and just thinking about like the kinetics of like the wood burning in that campfire. I think maybe a lot of people aren't 
like astonished by thinking about math when they're looking at a campfire. But I remember like uniquely thinking, this is kind of weird, but it's also amazing that we have sort of this mathematical um, framework to understand how something as complex as like the swirling flames might um, be coming about. And so I, I just like in, in those small things, um, I think that I find a whole lot of fulfillment. Um, I recently gave a talk um, that was like a biophysics cookbook talking about mucus as uh, basically a biomolecular spaghetti. Um, it's got all of these little strands and, and, you know, like those are like the big mucins that make up your mucus. And then you have all of these crosslinkers that might be like the Parmesan that you sprinkle on top that makes it a little bit gooier or whatever. Um, but I just like, I don't know. I, I say that, um, I guess hopefully not to sound weird, but just because like, it is just like, it's really fun for me to sort of study the world through analogy and to just, I guess, kind of be amazed at the beauty of creation, but also to be amazed at the underlying framework of it. So, and uh, as I said earlier, I really do like the opportunity to like work in, in medicine um, in a way that I think I'm gifted for, you know, I'm not a pediatrician, but I am a scientist and I'm grateful to be able to try to work towards healing people through what I do. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Well, we are grateful that you do that and that God gave, that you love it. How about you, Kelvin? And do you have any food analogies? Can you compare your, the stuff you study to uh, spaghetti or, or some kind of Italian food? <laughs> just kidding the, the original question so. <laughs> was was what do you love about your job and your career field so right you can uh, you can answer that one no you don't <laughs> have to have a good reference yeah i guess it's it's sort of like a progression for me when i first started out in uh the scientific field um my educational background is actually on plants and specifically plant pathogens uh that causes disease and uh, throughout that process, it's like what Matt was saying that it's it's almost like I get to peel off the different layers and see how how detailed and how awesome God is in in creating um, a specific crop or a specific plant or a specific function to um, to create a fruit or food that sustains us. And, um, and then later on, um, I started liking what I do because I know that my work makes an impact on people. Um, so whenever I was working on plant diseases, it was, uh, benefiting farmers and indirectly benefiting people that consume it. And right now, um, relating to human vaccines, um, it's a bigger impact uh, to the community if uh, there's a breakthrough in in any discovery. So I think that's what drives me to get up every day and go to work is that excitement of like, maybe something I do today is going to make an impact for someone that has this specific disease uh, or specific ailment. And um Similar to what Matt was saying too, that one side of scientific research is is the excitement of discovering something new or discovering something that totally blows your mind, um, that goes to goes the opposite of what you're thinking, and that's always something very exciting um, in research, and and I think that's what I like a lot about my job. Awesome. Thank you, Kelvin. Yeah. Oh, well, Kelvin. So what's been hard about your job or, or Matt, do you have a follow-up question? Yeah. I, I, Kevin, you mentioned, or Kelvin, you mentioned your, um, I guess where you did your studies or your background. Um, so where, where did you do your studies and why are they the best sec schools? <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> so <laughs> I did my undergrad at, University of Georgia, 
uh, one of the best schools, oh, wow. uh, best football team, <laughs> according to Danny. Wow. <laughs> no, he's going against Georgia is the rival of my team, Auburn, and Pastor Lawrence's team, the Gators. But okay. Thanks right. for bringing it up, Matt. <laughs> no, now where do you work, Kelvin? You work at Duke, right? So we have one Duke, two UNC. So we can, we have a little basketball rivalry too. <laughs> or you probably don't. Coming from Europe, you're probably like, what is all this, right? Yeah, you know, this all, is all college, over college, my head. College rivalries. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Thanks for bringing that up, Matt. No, we we are. I'm so grateful for all of you and what you do. Now, what what's been hard? I know that. Um, you know, there's good parts of every job, but there's there's some things that are hard. So maybe we'll start with you, Sarah. What's what are some things that have been hard or some challenges you faced as you trust God in this career? Yeah. Um, well, I'll I'll talk more generally, and I'll talk a little bit more specifically. So I think more generally in medicine, things that people struggle with is finding a work life balance. Um, and I've been really blessed uh, in that my job is part time. And I work a lot of nights, which is, is, is hard on one side, but it means I don't have to work that many. And so I, I feel like my work-life balance has been really nice. But in, in medicine in general, um, I think that's something people struggle with. A lot of uh, physician jobs, like full-time is 60 hours a week. Um, and, uh, and that just takes its toll after a while. We all do it in, uh, in our residencies during training. Um, the, you know, there's work hour rules now where you can't average more than 80 hours a week. Um, but you know, that's average can't average more than 80 hours a week. Wow. And, uh, so that means you can do 120 hour week as long as you do a 40 hour week next. Right. Um, so that's pretty crazy, but it's a finite amount of time. But I think in a lot of specialties, especially even after those years of training, it can be difficult to find a good work-life balance. I think that's something that's hard for people. Um, but I'm grateful that that's, that's been, um, you know, not, I found a really good place, um, for that for myself, I think. Um, for pediatrics, you know, when it's sad, it's really sad, right? Um, and I think, it definitely depends a little bit on what niche of pediatrics you pick um, as to how much uh, sadness you have. One of the things that I enjoy uh, in pediatrics is that with the exception of, you know, some very small specialties, even, even those of us who see a lot of really bad sickness and death and dying, um, it's still rare enough to where you can kind of mourn it when it happens. Um, and that, you know, you don't have that luxury in adult medicine. If you, you know, even took half an hour every time that you had a patient um, pass away in the adult hospital, you'd never get any work done. Um, but in, in peds, it's rare enough to where everyone kind of understands that it really gets to you and people check in with you and give each other hugs and, and the team can kind of like mourn things together. And so that is something that I, I really enjoy about pediatrics. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's a lot of people who say, oh, I could never do pediatrics because I just wouldn't be able to take it when they're really sick. And I think to some extent it self-selects people who feel like they can cope with that, right? Um, but I also think it's just really helpful that, that it's not that often so you don't have to um, just keep going as if nothing happened. Wow. Thank you for sharing. How about how about you, uh, Kelvin? What are some things that have been hard about your particular job and your work, or just your yeah, just as you've been in the science field for a while now? Um, so the the first thing that came to my mind is um, so outside of work. Whenever I tell people what I do, uh, especially when I was working on plant diseases. And what I specifically did was more towards like um, the genetic side of um, curing plant diseases or preventing plant diseases. So that involves like um, inserting genes into a, a fruit tree or a specific plants. Uh, but my approach is natural, which means that I grab something from um, – a plant and move it to a different plant and hopefully that would uh, help with fighting the disease. So whenever I tell people what I do back then, um, a lot of them would jump straight into like almost like a attack defense mode, even though like 
I don't really have a huge opinion on like all the entire GMO or the entire um I guess argument on that. And I I just remember there's this one time I think I was new to this church and I joined a small group and one of the ladies found out what I my job was and so she went directly into like all that like questioning mode and then I felt like it was really hard for me to navigate between like, okay, how do I be gracious to this lady while like be passionate about what I do and be, be proud of what I have achieved. Um, so that's always like one of the, the struggle uh, whenever someone finds out uh, what I do. And for example, right now um, it could be one of those um people who are against vaccines or people are who are against um, just scientific research in general. Um, and I guess another thing is, um, at least I see that in the scientific world, um, it's very performance driven. Um, and that's how you get your credit um, in, in whatever field you are let's say the more papers you publish, the more credible you are, the quote unquote higher up um, people would see you. Um, So that's, I feel like that could be a dangerous mindset, uh, especially for a Christian um, going into work. And all you think about is like, okay, how do I achieve something great today and forget about your core, your coworker, uh, that's around you and actually caring for them. Um, so in the past, I have definitely uh, been in that school of thought where, um, man, I'm here to compete with everyone else. And um, I even started hating what I do um, when I was a senior in undergrad because of how like how unwelcoming or how hostile that environment can get. And then I realized that man, I don't really know my coworkers. I don't really engage or hang out with them outside of work. I don't really even ask them how they're doing. And I think when I switch that mindset, I actually see my work. I was able to see my work as a mission field because I focus less on achievements, but focus more on the people I work with. And, um, that has been really transforming to me uh, everywhere I go, every school I go or every job that I take up. Uh, that's one of my biggest prayer is not for me to achieve greatness, but for God to use me uh, in this like challenging environment. Wow. Thank you for your vulnerability too. And sharing Matt, do you have any thoughts maybe bouncing off their things or other, other things that have been hard for you uh, or challenges? Yeah, um, I think that I, I actually have maybe even like a third sort of set of difficulties. Although I will say that I, you know, resonated with Calvin's um, complaint about confusion about GMOs to some extent. I mean, I think that the disease that I work on, primarily cystic fibrosis, is ultimately, I mean, probably at least most of the mutations that cause it uh, are going to have to be cured with some form of um, gene therapy in some way, shape, or form, which can be controversial. But I mean, I think the ethics of that are probably better left for another podcast entirely. But right, <laughs> I think that the uh, you know the, the, the science podcast come back in two weeks. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that for me, honestly, uh, one of the most unexpected difficulties that I ran across. Um, is that I keep saying uh, that I'm an engineer by training, but I, I work in mucus physics, and I, I wasn't prepared really for sort of the epistemological differences between engineering and physics. Um, physics is, you know, a pure science. It's, it's the purest science in, in, in some ways, right? Uh, the only thing pure is math, which isn't science, and uh, but physicists really, really care about just, posing a problem and studying it intensely and then 
you know, like maybe getting the right answer, but the idea is to do the science. And, you know, I'm an engineer and I really want to solve the problem um, in, in some ways. I, I want to get the thing done. Uh, like I was on a hike with my wife this past week and she even made a comment about how she wished that I was able to like go on a hike to a location, stop and, and take it in and just sit there for a minute. Like even growing up in Colorado, like I would climb mountains, not necessarily to like see the view, but just to like go and climb a mountain and say that I did the thing. And so I think that that's probably innate in, in me as an engineer. Um, whereas like physicists are just, content to like study everything and, and develop a theory around it. But I really want the application. Like people want to understand, you know, like why is mucus as sticky as it is? I'm like, well, I just want to make it less sticky in diseases where it's too sticky. Um, and I want to make it more sticky in cases where it's not sticky enough or something like that. So I, I think that that's something that I didn't, quite anticipate was just how um nuanced the differences between like pure science and engineering can be i mean i'm very grateful for my postdoctoral position but i think that like i guess we'll talk about like future advice that you would give to kids a very small bit of advice would be that it may not seem like there's differences between you know ste and m in in the stem disciplines but as you get further into it there there are definite differences and or at least i've felt that there are i think thanks for sharing that i want yeah, to maybe share one more thing and i i think this happens to a lot of people in science but i research shows it's more common in women in science and so since i'm the the one representative here i thought maybe i would mention this so um, I think one thing that a lot of us suffer from is something called imposter syndrome. Mm, and yeah. so that's, if anyone doesn't know what it is, it's basically this concept that you're highly trained in something, but you just don't really believe you are. And you have this nagging feeling that you're actually completely unqualified. And all this time, people just haven't noticed. And one day you're going to be found out. Um, and, and I think this is something that definitely happens to men and women. It's just, I think, a little bit more common in women. And, uh, and that can be really rough. I definitely still struggle with that. Um, and I'm actually like not a typical woman in a lot of things. Um, when my husband and I read like marriage handbooks, we're, we're always kind of flipped <laughs> in a lot of things where, when it says like, you know, women tend to do this and men tend to do that. And we're like, no, not, not for us, but it, I still struggle with this one. And, uh, it's just this constant kind of feeling like, Oh, surely, you know, everyone else would already know what this is. And I'm still struggling to figure out the diagnosis or, oh, I'm like, I have to go look this up, how to deal with this. And, and this kind of nagging feeling like, oh, I bet you all my colleagues would know how to do this without looking it up. Um, it just kind of lives with you. And I think that can be really hard. To some extent, I think it's just helpful to recognize that it's something that actually exists and that a lot of other people struggle with as well. Um and that usually we're good at covering for it. So you don't see it when your colleagues struggle with it. Um, and so you assume it's just you. I remember um, being a, a brand new doctor in England. I did an intern year in England before I came over here and did another intern year. Um, and, uh, and I remember being very new first month or so, absolutely petrified, feeling like I had no idea what I was doing. Actually, probably really did have no idea what I was doing at that point. And, uh, and one of my colleagues who was this guy who seemed like so calm and like, he just always knew exactly what the right thing to do was. I remember him and I talking at lunch and he said, Oh, I'm, I won't try to pretend to, to imitate his British accent, but he basically said, I am just completely petrified. And I just keep telling myself that if I don't cut corners and I put the patient first, then hopefully I won't kill anybody. And I thought that was really, really good advice. So I've repeated that to myself many times. Don't cut corners and always put the patient first, which sometimes means, you know, making a phone call to ask somebody else something, um, even though it's embarrassing because you feel like you should know. Um, and, and uh, you know, then hoping for the best that you do the right thing by your patients. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Sarah. That's, yeah, I, th I think all of us, 
and all, all our career fields struggle with that, but I can't even imagine in, in sciences where you've spent so many years becoming an expert on something. So yeah, I could, I could definitely see. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and uh, can I also Matt, add to that? Yeah. 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 I think that that's also something that maybe is a misconception in science is that like our expertise in an area means we know everything about that area. And I think that that, at least for me, um, has contributed to some sense of like imposter syndrome is this idea that, oh, it seems like everyone around me knows everything about everything. And like, I don't know anything about anything, but it turns out that a lot of times like we, we don't know as a field very much about something like uh, my departmental head is you know an eminent researcher and his favorite statement is you sneak up on the truth right like there's so much that we don't know and and you know as as sarah was saying i guess more directly to what she said it's okay to ask sometimes because like you you can still be an expert and not know something. And, and that's something that if you're interested in going into the sciences that you'll face all of your life is like still being an expert, but not knowing what the answer is to a given question at times. I remember one of my mentors in residency gave me the advice that if you have to do a presentation in front of an audience that is better trained than you, uh, pick a really, really rare, obscure disease that uh, no one knows anything about. And that way, nobody will dare ask you any questions. It seems like maybe mucus physics is like the discipline uh, part of that. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really niche field. That's for sure. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't know anything about mucus. We, you know, we know less about mucus than, you know, we know about, I don't know. <laughs> pretty much everything i feel like oh man all right well the the final question is you know one that i think a lot of people listening would would want to hear and and just because you guys are doing it living it out each day and in, in your fields but how do you see your job as part of your calling to be an ambassador of jesus and his kingdom so each of you might have a different perspective on that so i'd like to hear from all three of you maybe sarah could you go first yeah, absolutely. I think that there's kind of two big ways in which I feel like um, my calling as a Christian and my job kind of intersect. One is, of course, you know, I'm coming alongside families in really tough times. Um, and sometimes I think as physicians, we have to remind ourselves uh, because what can happen is we, we come out of one room uh, with a child who's had a, a very serious diagnosis that's going to impact the entire rest of their life, right? And we go into a room where a kid has, you know, bronchiolitis, which is basically a kind of a baby version of a cold. And when they, while they can get pretty, very seriously sick with it, it's quite rare uh, for them to become really seriously sick with it. And most of the time they come into the hospital and they get a few days of oxygen or a few days of fluid. And then we send them back home um, to live the rest of their life with no ill effects. And so we, we go from that one room to the next room and we feel like, Oh, this is a happy room. This is great. You know, this little baby is going to be just fine. But for those parents, their little baby is sick enough to be in the hospital on oxygen. And when they Google bronchiolitis, they'll find out that you can die from it. And they're absolutely petrified. Um, and we do well, I think, to remind ourselves of that, that for every family, even when they are there with what comparatively seems to us like a small deal, having to be in the hospital with your kid is a huge deal. And it's stressful and it's worrying and you feel very out of control um, and it's just a difficult time. And so, you know, it's a real privilege to get to come alongside families while they're going through that and help them carry that burden and explain to them what's happening and make them feel like they're a little bit more in control of what's going on um, and give them some comfort during it. And so I think that's, you know, ministry and showing love um, and being the hands of Jesus in in the best way. I think... The other big thing where it kind of goes the opposite way is where I bring my scientist brain into um, 
you know, what I do in church or what I do when I'm speaking to other people about my faith. And that's where I have a real passion um, for what we would call apologetics, right? So apologetics is the intellectual defense of the Christian worldview as a worldview that is logically congruent and makes sense and can be intellectually defended. And uh, and so I have a real passion to help people see that it's not a either or, it's not a either you believe in science or you believe in the Bible or either you believe in God or you believe um, in, in the things that we, you know, study and research, um, that these can really align and that you can be a scientist. And I mean, I worked with some just world-renowned scientists at Oxford who are passionate followers of Christ um, and and find absolutely no conflict in in those two parts of their lives. Um, and I think that's something that is that I just feel really passionate about. And I love to use my brain and what I know about science to kind of help people see that and to remove stumbling blocks uh, from them that they come across in their faith. Well, thank you, Sarah, for sharing and yeah, even giving us two different sides of it. Um, wow. How about you, uh, Kelvin? Any thoughts on how you see your job and, and your as and your as part of your calling to be an ambassador of Jesus? We're all called to be ambassadors of Jesus and His kingdom. So God gave you these gifts and these these talents and this these opportunities. How do you how do you see the two intersecting? Yeah, um, I guess I when I thought about this question, it brought me back to the Bible verse where it says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And we have definitely used that a lot in mission fields. Uh, but I sort of used that, especially in the science field. Um, there's definitely a, a skew of non-Christian more so there's there's definitely a lot more non-christians than christians so i see that as a there's a lot of people that are in need of god and so how i relate my career or my job to that is um i always make it a point to talk to people and um try to challenge myself into uncomfortable conversation and by uncomfortable i mean asking them about their belief system or why they believe. Um, and that has always played out surprisingly well uh, in God's favor. Um, and there were a few instances where it led to just like Bible study of, of um, just like talking about who God is and like what Sarah was saying, uh, apologetics is a great tool to have Um in conversation with someone who doesn't believe in God and maybe believe in science. Um, so one of my thing that I want to be obedient to is uh, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading at work and be willing to take that step. Um, but there's definitely a lot of times when I felt God leading me to talk to this specific person and it's definitely got to be uncomfortable because I'm going to bring up the gospel. But there are definitely a lot of times when where I refuse to because of how uncomfortable it will be. Uh, but time and time again, God has always shown um, his his power and his um, his pro providence in the conversation. Um, so that's usually how I see myself. Um, since I'm more of a practical person, um, I like to, I was convicted by how, how I live my life when I was in, uh, in school. Um, I, I did that typical thing of like, okay, I'll just live my life, uh, as a Christian and hopefully people can see God in me. But a lot of times if you don't, speak words of truth if you don't talk about Jesus. People around you will never know about Jesus or will never even know like why you believe in a God or why you believe that Jesus has to die for us. Um, so I truly believe that um, preaching the gospel and, and actually practicing your testimony 
uh, is a helpful skill to have um, in engaging people in conversation and um, and definitely asking people uh, for prayers or asking people what you can pray for them for. And that's always a good conversation, gospel conversation starter. Um, so yeah, so I think that's how I I find myself being an ambassador um, as huge of a word that may be um, that we are definitely representing uh, Christ-likeness to people who may not understand God or may not understand the Bible at all. Well, thanks for your thoughtful answer. And finally, you, Matt, uh, how do you see your job and this career that God, this path that God has put you on as part of your calling to be an ambassador of Jesus and his kingdom? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, like being an ambassador or, you know, being a, a, a diplomat or a representative, right, you you are a, a banner bearer for Christ, a banner bearer for the church. And I think I was, you know, just recently, um, actually yesterday, uh, kind of struck by a conversation that some of the youth in the Waypoint Youth Group were having. And uh, Kelvin could also attest to this if, if he wanted to add. But um, one, uh, actually, a couple of the students had mentioned that, like, sort of the expectation of Christians, and maybe particularly Christians in, in the South, is that they're, like, stupid and uneducated and that they don't care about science and stuff like that. And I remember, you know, probably like 15 years ago now, um, one of the elders at the church that I grew up in um, was a former fighter pilot, graduate of the Air Force Academy, had his master's in aerospace engineering. And, you know, he, he told me, you know, like, we need more excellent Christians. And for whatever reason, that has stuck with me. And it, you know, became, I guess, you know, more relevant yesterday and into a conversation, but just like, I want to represent the church. Well, that like, we're, you know, thinking people, you know, that Sarah talked about at the start of this podcast, that like, there is a logic to the Christian faith that, you know, like as, as crazy and supernatural as it sounds that, you know, Jesus came and, he lived a perfect life and he died a death as a perfect sacrifice and then was raised from the dead as the first fruits of many, right? There's witnesses and evidence for this is a whole scriptural attestation to this central event in Christianity. And it's, it's not just a thoughtless faith. It's not something that you have to turn a blind eye to, you know, I think again, you know, and like, Sarah's native Germany, like Werner Heisenberg and, and um, Leonard Euler are, you know, like two of the eminent scientists in, in history, Heisenberg with his uncertainty principle and cracking up in quantum mechanics and Leonard Euler uh, putting his, well, I guess he didn't put his name on everything in the field of applied mathematics, but his name is on everything in the field of applied mathematics. You know, the exponential constant E is E for Leonard Euler. And both of them are avowed Christians. Leonard Euler was an apologist and Werner Heisenberg made the case over and over again that he saw no um, divide in himself between Heisenberg, the scientist, and Heisenberg, the Christian. And, and so in, I guess, just the spirit of like wanting to use the gifts that God has given me well, I, I, I want to represent the church well as someone who God, um, I, I, I think, um, uh, I guess, commissioned as a, a, a scientist to hopefully go out and bring healing to people through studying mucus, as weird a calling as that may be. It's <laughs> your time, and we do want to give a shout out to Kelly Seaton. Another research scientist at Waypoint who actually, Kelvin, she works in your lab, um, correct? Right. She is actually one of my managers. <laughs> okay. So, Kelly, we, this is our third time to record this science podcast. So, uh, and 
Kelly was on it originally too, and she couldn't make it tonight. But we Kelvin stepped in and, and pinch hit, and we're so glad to have him. And yeah, so shout out to all the scientists out there and to the young people who are pursuing it. We have a lot of college students, a lot of grad students who are at the beginning of this. And we just thank God for you and thank God that you use your gifts for his kingdom and his glory. And we thank God for all of you out there. And yeah, we just want to say, keep pursuing the things that God puts in your path and trust him with each day in your career fields and in your interests. And we're going to keep building his kingdom here as we love the triangle, love the nations. Have a great week, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, have a good one, y'all.